Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning and welcome to the 3CR Spoken Word Programme. Uh, this morning I'm talking to David Munro, whose first book, Wearing My Father's Hat, uh, was released in November 2020. Um, good morning, David. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, and um, lovely to be in and have a chat about poetry with you. Yeah, well, I love your book. Um, I find it very fresh and uh, inspirational. So tell me, how long have you been writing poetry? Look, I, I think my mature life as a poet, although obviously people learn all the time, probably only started five or six years ago, um, although I wrote before then on and off, um, and particularly when, when my kids were in their 20s now, um, just uh, doing homework with them, really, you know, doing maths or whatever, and, and they were whining one day about this thing they had to do as I had to write a poem. I was like, well, look, it's not that hard, and sat with them and, and did some of it and thought, Oh, I actually kind of enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's kind of um, almost accidental that that I came into this um, interest. Yeah. And um, so, five or six years ago, how did you then decide to take uh, it forward? Yeah, that was um, after a redundancy. Left um, twenty years at a particular firm and and left. Mm-hmm. And I, I work with um, statistics and, and mathematics, so and sort of data and numbers and things. And, and I was just looking for something really different. And so a little bit on a whim and a little bit out of interest, I enrolled in a um, CAE course uh, around poetry that happened to be Judith Rodriguez, uh, mm-hmm. who I didn't know anything about at that time. Um, and, and that really totally opened the door for me, you know, I kind of been looking through the window into the house of poetry right. uh, before then and, and she opened the door up and, 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 and invited me in. It was great. Yeah. And um, I have to confess we are both uh, students of Judith Rodriguez and, uh, and part of an ongoing um, uh, group of students who continue to uh, share each other's work. Yeah, I think that was um, one of the great things for Legacy, the way she kind of inspired people to inspire each other and, and work together and, and, and create. Yeah, just, um, she was a pretty important teacher. Yes, well, she was a, a great Australian poet in, and, uh, you know, one of the leading figures in, um, in late 20th century poetry in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. The, now once um, you start seeing it, oh, well, I know it happened to me, it's sort of once, once I was kind of recognised her as certainly to see her work and seek her work out and, and realise just how um, kind of wonderful her work is and, and, and um, long, the longevity of it, you know, the, the decades of, of work that are there. Yes, that's right. So, uh, Wearing My Father's Hat. Now, um, that's actually the title of a poem as well as the title of a book. Yeah, that's right. And um, the, the title poem of that book, and uh, it... It wasn't in the original manuscript. Oh, really? <laughs> um, Melbourne's Poet Union put a call out for people who hadn't been published before, um, and I certainly fitted that category. Um, and I put a manuscript in, and um, Tina, the editor, uh, invited me 
in to um, have the chapbook published. And um, it was like, just you're kind of like three poems short. Have you got anything else? And yeah. I went, oh, well, I've got this one. And, and, and it became the title work. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm so pleased it, it, was, uh, it, it got into print as well. Well, it's a particularly lovely poem. So uh, would you like to read it? Yeah, yeah, sure. All right, so yeah, this is Wearing My Father's Hat. After my father died, I started wearing his hat. Old school brushed rabbit fur with a feather. We never spoke all that much while he lived. He liked cricket and horses and reading Andrew Bolt poems aloud in a deadpan, I'm reading something from the paper, voice. But my dad failed in his racism, didn't have the ticker to sustain a pure white anger. He walked a path more attuned to his easygoing soul, judged each acquaintance on spec, letting each stand on their own actions. He never saw the gap between his stated hatred of Italians and every Italian he knew. Even the guy that turned up on 60 Minutes as a mafia fix-it man. Dad liked him. He helped Dad get the money he owed from the one Italian he didn't like, who didn't pay his bills. Dad let Hallmark speak for him on birthdays, anniversaries. Love was actions, deeds, helping out. Now he's dead. I like to wear his hat. Skin cancer runs in our family, and his hat has a nice wide brim. We have the same head size. We were never that different, though sometimes I forget to look past words to deeds. Lovely. Yes. Well, there's so much um, contained in that. You, you really share your, the picture of your father really well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's interesting that um, the the actual hat, which as a backstory he took from me and and I took back again after he died. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so it's a real hat. That uh, how that became a, a kind of a, a focus for that um, meditation on on my relationship with him and 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 his in his relationship. Yeah. Yes, and. What sort of hat is a brushed rabbit fur hat with a feather? Oh, just that um, classic um, Akubra-looking hat, but the townies one, not the bush one. Okay. And so it's just made with, it's just one of a classic felt hat. Yeah. Right, lovely. Yes, well, it's always important to look at the deeds rather than just the words. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. the actions uh, mm. of people matter. Mm. Yeah. Now, there's a few eulogies in your book which um, are very uh, um, beautifully expressed. So one of the poems I, th- I thought we might have a look at was An Ordinary Life. Yeah, this this poem um, is uh, also about my dad, actually. I guess he'd, he'd um, died a, a couple of years before a lot of this writing happened, so it's interesting what bubbles up. But this is... Um, an experiment, if you like, of of me trying to use his voice. Um, uh, so, so this is written from his perspective, but it's my imagination of of his inner life. Okay. So this is an ordinary life. I'd already seen my mother descend into the red Victorian earth all those years ago. I don't remember it hurting this much, but then 
I was only two, holding my aunt's calloused hand, not understanding the sombre quiet of the adults towering above me as we looked at the flower-strewn box below. Rick's casket is rich cherry brown, the same colour as my mother's. Although I can't be sure after all these years, colours change in rain, or perhaps it was barely remembered tears that clouded my eyes, wet my face. It is so much easier to cry as a child, back before adult cares are shouldered, back before you have to arrange things like groceries and funerals. There was no rain the day we buried my eldest son, just a cold breeze and a colder chill deep inside that made it hard to speak or think or breathe. It nearly ended my marriage. No, let's be honest. I nearly ended my marriage. Despite our shared years, we had no words to fill the void he left after that midnight call arrived and took our firstborn son from our lives. A friend saved us, saved me. Alice was never the same. Neither was I, but she thought deeper than I ever did. Carry on. That's what you do, what we did. I knew no other way. A mate pulled me from the pub with harsh words, tough love. This rough woman stripped me bare, stripped me down, left my inner parts laid out for me to start over. Alice never saw it that way. She only saw the love between me and my saviour. She didn't understand my need to learn to love again before I could begin to rebuild our life together. I could leave my story here, but it would leave the wrong impression. Certainly it was love I sought, but what was offered, what was needed, was the intimacy of locker room mates, not the sweaty passion of bedroom lovers. Alice never saw it that way, but we hung on, found a new way to be together. We lasted another 20 years before I sat afront another coffin weeping as I buried her too. I held my grandson's hand as I wept. In the end, all those funerals taught me something. There is no shame in tears, and on the other side may well lie joy. Wonderful. It's um, it, it's a wonderful whole story of a life in just one and a half pages. Um, you've captured an awful lot there. In yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I kind of um, put together those themes that that kind of uh, built around the different significant funerals in, in his life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's complex, isn't it, to also share the story of of a, of a parent where there's an infidelity, um, you know. Yeah, that, that's right, and and so there's a um, yeah, obviously there's details that are hazy as a child. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, there, there was something going on there. Yes. I was a child. I was a young adult, but yeah, mm. not not really discussed. Pieced together. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very hesitant uh, about including that one again. I'm glad I mm. did because mm. um, I was I was wondering how my my one remaining brother might react. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, but he was he was quite sanguine about it. I think we we turns out we have quite similar views on that whole period of our lives. Yes, but. A great sort of ventriloquism to look into your father's mind and to find this uh, understanding of his emotional position at in those circumstances. Yeah, there was a 
there was personal healing through that that mm. journey, and I know it's an imaginary one, but I think the the emotional outcome is real. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was um that was in some ways that was one of the toughest ones to write. I think there was lots of different versions uh, of that before I finally settled on using his voice rather than uh, some sort of third person, uh, really, well, really owning the, the the feelings. Well, it it comes across as. Uh as an autobiographical piece, so you have, you know, you have spoken through his voice very convincingly. No, oh, thank you. Yeah. So, in in terms of um, inspiration, um, what uh, poets do you particularly like? Um, I I really enjoy hearing like living poets, other poets do read their work and and do their work. So it's the people around us in here in the Victorian scene, yeah. um, the Melbourne scene. So, uh, um, so the, the people that you hear on stage and doing shows, they're, they're the ones that really lift me. I, I find um, these past few years I've tended not to go back to, the, to dead ones so much. Um, and there's a bit of a conscious effort to try and move away from the, the dead white male canon, although... Some of those are, are wonderful. I love Cummings, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we do have such a wonderful live scene in Melbourne. Now, you live in country Victoria, so it must be a little bit challenging to get out to um, lots of live readings. Yes, as we open up again, that'll become a bit more of a, a challenge. Um, uh, but work will expect me back in the, in the office um, a few days a week, yes. uh, and and so that that will be an opportunity for for seeing things as well. So this past twelve months, uh, the Zoom has been a bit of a lifeline. It's not the same as being in the room, but um, you know the the um, things like retrospective and stuff, and the chances to submit to these open mics as well, just using your phone and and record a little something, uh, has been really lovely as well, and that's been. A, an interesting part of the craft to explore because you know you, you can't read the audience and kind of hear uh, how they're feeling about something or, or whether it's working or not. So that's a, a different sort of courage to throw that out there and see what happens. Yes, uh, it is, and um, it's it's interesting. The live scene it's so much of, about the interaction with the audience. So yep. having uh, having the sort of disembodied voice on a pre-record is something completely different. Yeah, and and the chat, you know, people do what they can through the chat, mm. uh, and it's nice to have those um, the, the, the the banter and encouragement that comes through there. But it is different. Yeah. Okay, well, we might just go to a track.
some music from Slava and Leonard Gregorian and Joseph and James Tawadros CD, Band of Brothers. And uh, you're listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and I'm talking to Dave Munro um, about his first book, Wearing My Father's Hat, which was published by the Melbourne Poets' Union. Um, so, Dave, um, let's go to another poem. Now, poetry can be on every topic in the world. So what, what about handball to space? Yeah, sure. I think, yeah, after a couple of funerals, here's one with um, a little more whimsy. Yeah. Uh, I guess um, I, I do talk about football a little bit in, in this book and I, I guess just an ed- as an editorial, I, I really think women's football rather than the... Um, AFLM, but anyway, um, this is neither here nor there for this poem. (laughs) Handball to space. There's poetry on the wing or stepping on a tram. Christ, sometimes just getting out of bed and stumbling to the kitchen is a sublime act as you stagger into a new day, pants on, ready to join the game. Who wrote the rules anyway? There's no winner in this game, just poetry. If you're brave enough to make some art or lucky enough to get a handball to space and a chance to make poetry on the wing. Yes, indeed. Well, poetry is everywhere. You just have to see it. Yep, yep. It's a fun poem. It's nice uh, to have something a little bit uh, whimsical. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that one. I think that was, that was the first poem I ever had published anywhere as well. Oh, okay. Where was it published? Um, Darabin Council have a thing called Enscribe. Oh. Um, when, when I lived in Melbourne, residents uh, are free to submit to that. They publish it once a year, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was accepted. So that was that was a nice little personal moment as well. <laughs> yeah, and now there's another little whimsical poem in the beginning. Let's have. A, would you like to read that one? Uh, sure. In the beginning, the first mathematician couldn't count. That subtle art lies in her future. Marks, scratched on bones, match the moon's dance from a time before numbers had names. Math's chapters were null sets, just like numbers themselves, countable unions of nothing. And this had me slightly puzzled. Um, uh, What do you mean the first mathematician couldn't count? Yeah, there's actually quite a lot going on there. I, I, I think the... What I'm trying to allude to there is, at some point, the art of counting had to be invented. Mm-hmm. So, so the the what seems to have come about, of course, no one really knows, is matching, is a kind of a pre-step to counting. So the idea that I've got the same number of rocks in my hand as sheep in my paddock, okay, or, or the same, or the same. Um, without quite knowing what the number is. It's kind of like the category is similar. So it's an enormous leap of imagination to, to turn that into numbers. It's um, you know, as in, probably as important as fire uh, or, or something like that, that that was going on. So that's the idea there. It's not meant to be a slur on, on these first thinkers. It, it, it's an homage to, to the enormous leap that they took. Yeah. Well, what does a null set mean? Maths chapters were null sets. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, did, did this nearly this whole poem nearly ended up on the on the on the floor, but I'm glad it's in. Um, the the way numbers are defined today, or um, at least there's a couple of different ways to do it, but there is the the idea that a, a null set is a, a set with nothing in it, so it's an empty box, if you like, and so the, uh, you define okay, I, I have the idea that I can have groups of things. But the, the first thing I can have is an empty one. And then you go, well, there's one of those because all empty boxes have the same contents. There's a little bit of kind of sophistry there. Right. And then you go, okay, that's great. And then now I've got the box. And so now I can, can I, and so you can start building up numbers using those as a building block. So it's kind of a, um, uh, a, a nod to that original idea of, of, of being able to count and then the modern conception of, of what number means, at least in algebra. Yeah. Yes, I think there are layers there that I'm not going to ever get because I'm not a mathematician, but it, well done. I mean, it's a rare thing to hear a bit of playing with mathematics in poetry. Yeah, I, I, um, I you know, one of the things that attracts me to poetry is the kind of the the structure of it and the, the rules and the way you can sometimes find meaning that you didn't quite know you had or ideas that you didn't quite know you had as you constrain yourself to certain structures in, in, the, in a poem. Uh, and that reminds me a little bit of mathematics where there's these rules that you just kind of have to follow. Once you accept the rules of the game, then, then you, you just need to follow them. So uh, I'm interested in the boundaries of, of how, how mathematical can you make a poem um, with, with little things. And I'm not sure I've ever really been successful. There's, there's a few authors um, that I like. There's a woman called Mary Pauline, um, who I suspect is not, uh, who's written a couple of books that, that are really simultaneously quite mathematical and, and, and good poetry. Uh, so it, it, it's an interesting kind of space that, that I like to explore. Yeah. Now, you've got a little bit of philosophy happening as well in I Saw a Butterfly Dance. Yeah, I, I see this one as a little bit mathematical as well, but I can see why, why the, the philosophy might be there as well, because this is kind of rifting on, on chaos theory a little bit. I Saw a Butterfly Dancing, or Art is Enough in a Fractal World. As I soaked in Archimedes' bath, I watched a butterfly flap its fragile wings, stirring air onto a path to who knows where. The butterfly didn't care where its tiny dance went. The art of that moment, enough as it wafted steam from my bath outwards to join other eddies, unmeasured, unmindful of consequence. Okay, now for those who don't know, tell us what Archimedes' bath is. Well, Archimedes was a, a, a Greek thinker and philosopher uh, who apparently had this realisation around um, displacement uh, uh, when he was sitting in the bath. He, I believe the story goes he was given um, an amount of gold um, to turn into a crown, but the king was, uh, or whoever it was that gave him the gold, was suspicious that the gold would go missing, so he was trying to think of a way to demonstrate that the same amount of gold was before and after. And so when he hopped into a bath and displaced the water, he kind of had that eureka moment mm. um, where, where he realised what was going on. So Archimedes, uh, and, and so him running down the street in his 
towel shouting Eureka is a, a, a comedic element that I have no idea is, has any basis in fact. But that's that's Archimedes' bath. Yeah. yeah. And um, and the butterflies. There's something I think you're referencing the butterfly effect in a in like the tiniest yeah, thing that can idea have a that, big effect. Yeah, that's right. And and um, I, there's technical definitions, but that's that's exactly the the notion I was I was calling up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it has a very evocative atmosphere. You know, the art of that moment enough as it wafted steam from my bath outwards to join other eddies, unmeasured, unmindful of consequence. Yeah. yeah, so there's a nice sort of introduction to the idea through imagery. Yeah, yeah I, I think that, that idea that we, we can't, we, we make choices, but we can't be quite sure of where they end up. Yeah, we never know. We never know. Yeah. So we might just um, go to, the, to one more poem. Um, which one would you like to read as the final poem? There's, there's a wonderful poem, The Night Before My Brother's Funeral. Okay, sure. And then that kind of rounds out the, the triptych of, of dead people. <laughs> <laughs> well, they yeah. make really good subjects of poetry, you know. Oh, absolutely. I think that, that those, um, the emotions that you carry with that, are, I don't know if they're easier to, to access, but they're, you know, they're, they're things that you come back to. So this is, this is biography. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is, yeah. The night before my brother's funeral. Stars shone as I smoked a joint in my parents' backyard. I'd found the spliff in my jacket pocket, forgotten in the mad dash home after that midnight call. A moment of alone, a joint in the dark, hiding from the fog within the house. Cattle bellowed in the night, the plaintive sound carried on the winter air. We live next door to an abattoir. Cows know. Rick must have known too. Trapped in the car as his life fled. Bled out like one of the cows next door. Mum came and sat with me. She mistook my silence for her own sadness. Too wrapped up in her own grief to notice me, suppressing a giggle at the cosmic joke. Sitting, stoned, listening to cattle being led to their death. Yeah, it's a complex uh, set of emotions when there's so many layers of things going on. Yeah, that that was that was a, a weird night. I I noticed um, that I, I used that phrase "midnight call" uh, in, in the poem uh, from my dad's point of view as well. So clearly, that event mm. <laughs> is is well etched into my my subconscious there. Mm. Thank you. Well, that's a lovely poem, and I love the book Wearing My Father's Hat. Um, so, Dave, thank you for coming on the program. Oh, an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Di. And um, my name's Di Cousins, and I've been speaking to Dave Munro about Wearing My Father's Hat, and this has been the 3CR Spoken Word Program.